Turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Luke, chapter 18. We'll be reading one verse, Luke 18, verse 27. Luke 18, verse 27. And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the beginning of a new year. Thank you, Lord, for what lies ahead of us because we know that through all of it, Lord, you will be with us. You have a plan and a purpose, and you can accomplish anything that you want to. So I pray that you would work with us this year, Lord. May we be obedient to you, and may we be used of you to bring glory to your name. Our prayer today, Lord, is that you would use the message to challenge us to trust you for the impossible. And I pray that you might speak to the heart of everyone. And I pray if there's one here today who has never trusted Jesus as their personal Savior, help them to know that Jesus died for them, paid the price for their sins, rose from the grave, and wants to be their Savior. And I pray they would be saved even today. Give enablement to bring the message. Get glory for yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The year 2024 is ahead of us. Only one week has passed, and there are yet 51 weeks and one day remaining because this is leap year. During this year, we will face many situations, problems, projects, responsibilities, and people who will seem impossible. But we can be encouraged with the fact which Jesus stated in our text verse when he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. When we add God to the situation, to the problem, to the project, to the, to the responsibility, or to the person, our outlook should change because as Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, Paul was not confident in himself when he said, I can. He was confident in the Lord because he said, I can only do it through Christ who strengthens me. Throughout 2024, we will face things that are impossible with men. And our response will be something like this. We can't. Or no way. Or it's impossible. But those things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So to those same things, we can say, he can. He will make a way, and yes, it's very possible. So this morning, I want us to look from the scripture and see some illustrations of impossibilities which God showed were possible with him. Impossibilities in the scripture. There's no way I'll cover all of them, but I'm going to cover a whole lot of them this morning. First of all, creation. How did everything get here? Well, the Bible says that, uh, that God created the heavens and the earth in six days. Now, there's no way that man could do that, of course. And because man, uh, in general, is rejecting the fact that God created, they come up with a theory of evolution. Without any apology, without any shame saying this, I believe the theory of evolution is foolishness, and I don't believe there's anything about it that's true. It's based on false things. It's a theory never been proven, 
and it is false. I know that for sure because God says the very opposite. God said that he created everything in six literal days. Now, that's impossible with men, but not with God. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested on the seventh day. Let's go through those days very quickly. Day one of creation. God created the heaven and the earth. It was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep. And so there was just a big mass of swirling water with some with the substance underneath it. And that was the first day. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God divided the day from the night, and the, and the night, the day, he, the light he called day, and the and darkness he called night. And uh, so God made light before there were ever any light bearers or light producers such as the sun. So no problem with so many light years away because light was here before the sun, before the light uh, bodies were made. God made light the first day. Day two, God made the firmament. The firmament was, was a spance. A, a space in between. And so he divided the waters that were above from the waters that were beneath. And so it was all water. And he, and he says, with waters up above and waters beneath. And he, and he called that the, fir, he called the firmament heaven. And then on day three, he said, let the waters under the firmament be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. So on day three, God, uh, on that mass of water there, God let it, all the waters go into one place, and then he let the dry land appear, and he called the dry land earth, and the place where all the waters were, he called sea. And he said, let the earth bring forth abundantly, or let the earth bring forth grass and herb, fruit trees, yielding fruit and seed in the fruit. So on that day, God made the made the dry land appear, and immediately God put uh, grass and herb and fruit trees, and the trees were full grown. They had fruit hanging on them and seed in the fruit for future trees. All in that same day. Wow, God is great. Day four, God put lights in the firmament to divide the day from the night, and, he, and these now were the light, light bearers, and so he put the sun to rule the day, the greater light he calls it to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and he made the stars also, just a side note, you know, the Lord made the stars also. <laughs> wow, what a great God. And then on day five, God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly moving creatures that have life, and then he said, let the fowl of the air be produced. And so immediately they were, fly, they were they're fowl flying in the air. And he says of their own, after their kind. So there were all kinds of, of, of flying uh, uh, fowl and all, all kinds of fish and creatures in the sea. And so that was on day five. And God said to those, be fruitful and multiply. So immediately God gave them the command to start multiplying. And then day six came. Day six, earth brought forth living creatures, cattle, creeping thing, beasts after their kind. And God said that it was good. And so God made all the animals on the dry earth. And uh, so that was day six. But also day six, then he said, let us make man in our image. Animals are totally different than man. Man is made in God's image. And he said, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion over the fish and over the fowl and over the cattle and every creeping thing, all the moving things on the earth. And then God said he made them male and female. So God's the one that started all that, male and female. And then he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Wow. 
all in six days. Only God could do that. With man, impossible. But with God, not hard at all. Six days. And then another thing in the Bible that was surely impossible with man, but possible with God. God, after so, so many years, you know, this earth, because of sin, Adam and Eve sinned, and the result was deterioration. And because of sin, uh, God said every, all the men of the earth, the people of the earth, their, their thoughts were evil continually. And there was one family, Noah and his family, that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God said, I'm going to destroy everybody on this earth. People say, oh, that's silly. No, God did that. God did that. And so God destroyed everything on the earth. He caused, a, uh, Adam, he caused Noah to build an ark, gave him instructions, told him to build the ark. And then it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. There was so much water at 150 days that there, were 22, there was 22 and a half feet of water when you take an 18-inch uh, cubit and it comes out to 22 and a half feet of water over top the highest mountain. Why that much water over the highest mountains? So the ark could float over those mountains. And God destroyed everything that lived and breathed on the earth except what was in the ark. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their, and their, their wives. Eight people saved by the ark. And then all the animals and creeping things, all those that God put on the ark. So God started all over, all new. Uh, that seems impossible but it's not because God did the impossible. Also, the next thing we notice in the Bible, there are other things you could probably point out, but that's one of the things is he confounded the languages at Babel, the Tower of Babel. Even after the flood, men still were sinners, and they, still, they did wrong. They didn't obey God, and so they all gathered in one plane and tried to build a tower to make a name for themselves, and God says, he looked down, he said, all of them speak the same language. They're all going the wrong direction, and I'm going to have to change that. So God came down and confounded their language so they couldn't understand each other, and he spread them all over the earth, and uh, that's where languages came from. That's where the different people come from, the different colors and all of that. Uh, we call them races. There's only one race, the human race, and God made all those people, and only God could do that, confound the languages and make them speak all kinds of different languages. God did that. It wasn't impossible with God. God can do that, and he did. And then there's a, a story I was reading the Bible through as I do every year, and uh, a few days ago, and in Genesis chapter 14, there's the story of Abraham. And the Bible says that there was a confederation of kings, Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of, Eli of Elisar, and Shedor, Laomar, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations. And all of these got together, and there were a lot of them. And here's what they did. The Bible tells us in, in Genesis chapter 14 exactly what these, these kings were able to do. And it says in verse 5, In the 14th year came Shedor, Laomar, and the kings that were with him, and they smote the Rephims and the, and the Ashtaroth Karnam, and the Zunims in Ham, and the Imams in, in anyway, <laughs> those are giants. <laughs> and the Horites in their Mount Seir, and to, and to El Paran, and, which is by the wilderness, and they turned and, and came to Enmishpat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Malachites, and the Amorites that dwelt in, Hez, in Hezon Tamar. 
And so they did all that. All these kings gathered together. They were a mighty force. And they came to Sodom and Gomorrah where Lot was living, Abraham's nephew, and they took him and his family away and all the people and those cities away and, all, and stole all their goods and everything. And all those kings, confederate, who were able to do that to all those different people in that land, the Bible says Abraham said, I'm going after him," And he did. How many people did he have to go with him? 318. 318. And he smote them. And he killed all of them. And when they got back, then, then Melchizedek, who was king, who was priest at that time, it says, uh, it says that he made this statement. Um, the, mighty, the most high God delivered them into your hands. Who did it? God did. Could Abraham and 318 men do that? No. But God did. God can do the impossible. Then we come in the Bible to another instance of an impossibility, and that's the birth of Isaac. You see, Abraham was 100 years old, and his wife Sarah was 90 years old, and they couldn't have children. And God calls Sarah to conceive by Abraham and they had a child at her 90 years old. I mean, it was unbelievable. When Abraham heard about it, he laughed. When, I, when uh, Sarah heard about it, she laughed. And so God said, all right, you name your child Laughter. His name's Isaac, which means laughter. And here's what uh, she said in verse 6 of chapter 21. Sarah said, God hath made me laugh. Sarah got it right. Who did that? Who made her have a child? God did. It was impossible with man, but not with God. And then we go to the story of Joseph. You remember Joseph was sold into slavery. And uh, he was, his brothers were against him. He was thrown down into a pit. And then he was sold into slavery, into Egypt. I mean, it looks like the end of Joseph. But the end of the story is Joseph becomes second ruler in Egypt. And it was because of him that Jacob and his family moved down to Egypt so they could develop as a nation. Could man do that? No, but God could. <laughs> Impossible with man, but not impossible with God. Then the delivery of Israel from Egypt by Moses and the ten plagues. And when they developed there as a nation, they grew and grew and grew. God raised up Moses to lead them out, and he said to Moses, I'm going to judge this land with ten plagues. And so the plagues began. There was the, the Nile was turned to blood, frogs all over the land. The third, third plague, well, there was a swarm of lice. The fourth plague, there was a swarm of flies. The fifth, there was disease of cattle. The sixth, there was boils or sores on man and animals. The seventh, there was destruction of crops by great hail. The eighth, destruction of crops by locusts. And then the ninth, darkness over all the land so people couldn't see their hand in front of their face. It was just supernatural darkness. And then the last plague, the plague of the firstborn, and God killed all the firstborn uh, of the land except those uh, of those. Uh, Israelites, whose house had the blood applied over the doorpost, over the, si over the top and over the sides of the, of the door. Who could do that? Only God could do that. A slave people taken out by the hand of God out of Egypt so they could go on to the promised land and be what God wanted them to be. And then they got to the Red Sea. There was an impossibility impossible for man to cross over that Red Sea. There's probably over 2 million Israelites at this time. I mean, there were 600,000 fighting men. So there are over 200, 2 million of them, over 2 million of them, 
and they're facing this, river, this, uh, this red, red Sea, and they've got to cross over and get away from the Egyptians who just changed their mind and they're coming after them. What did God do? God sent a strong east wind, and it blew all night long and opened up the Red Sea. They mound the water on this side, on that side, and not only that, he dried up the seabed. And so they went through on dry ground, and after they got through, the Egyptians said, we're going to follow them. And God let all the Israelites get through, and God said, all right, choo. He closed the sea, drowned all the Egyptians. God, man can't do that, but God can. God can do the impossible. And then the children of Israel started their journey, you remember, in the wilderness, and they rebelled against God and all that. And, but God took care of them, and in the wilderness, God fed them every day for 40 years with manna. This unusual bread that fell from heaven. It just came, and they were gathered in the morning. It's just laying all over the place. God did that. And then they complained they didn't have any meat to, to eat, and God sent quails in. A multitude of quails came in, so they had plenty of meat to eat. And then they complained a couple times about no water, or more than that. And uh, God made, uh, made water come out of an old dry rock. <laughs> and they just smote the rock, and the water came out. Supernatural. Uh, nobody could do that, but God God can do it, and God can do anything. There's nothing impossible with God. And, and then when it came time they went into the promised land, they faced a Jordan River who's at flood stage. Remember, over 2 million people coming up to go into the promised land, and there's a river there that blocks them, and it's at flood stage, the Jordan River. So what did God do? The Bible says God dammed up the river. Now... They didn't have to construct a dam. God just said, stop water, and it did. 18 miles upstream in a city called Adam, it says above that city, God stopped the stream of water, and it all flowed down. All the tributaries going into that place, under that, they were stopped as well, and the, dry, and the riverbed was dry, and they went across on dry ground. God can do that, and God did it. And so it's something supernatural impossible with men, but possible with God. And then there was the victory at Jericho. That's an impossibility. Now, it wouldn't have been impossible for 600,000 men to go conquer Jericho, a walled city. They could probably do that. But God just said, no, I don't want you to do it that way. I want you to do it away so I get credit. To show man can't do this, but God can. So here's what I want you to do. Joshua, I want you to get your armed men, and I want you to get them lined up and march around the city. And after the armed men, there's going to be seven priests, just seven. And they're going to have seven ram's horns that they blow on. And so as you're going around the city, you blow on the ram's horn. Then the ark is going to follow those seven priests. And then there's going to be a rearward guard after that, that, and they're going to go around the city. And they're going to do that once a day for six days. And another thing. Joshua said, no shouting, in fact, no talking. No noise is to come from your voice. The only noise that will be heard is the trumpets blowing. And then on the seventh day, I want you to do that same thing that seemed fruitless. It wasn't accomplishing anything, seemingly. I want you to do that seven times. So they marched around the city seven times. And then he said, after that seventh time, I want you to do one simple thing. Shout. Shout. And they shouted. And guess what happened? The walls fell down. (laughs) Man can't do that, but God can. 
Nothing's impossible with God. And then we think of Gideon, the book of Judges. Gideon was told that he was to fight for Israel and deliver them from their enemy. And so Gideon got all the men he could together, and there were 32,000 of them. Now, you have to understand, the ones they were fighting against were the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east. And it was said of them in chapter 6, verse 5, they were as grasshoppers for multitude without number. That's how many there were. So Gideon has 32,000 men, and God says to Gideon, that's too many. Because if I let you win that battle, you're going to take the credit. I know you, you're going to take the credit, and I'm not going to let you do that. So I want you to tell everybody that's afraid to go home. Joshua probably thought, I've got a lot of good men that aren't afraid. So he said, now everybody that's afraid, go home. 22,000 walked out. (laughs) That left him with 10,000 men. And then God said, that's still too many. They'll still take the credit, so I want another test. I want you to go tell them to go down to to the stream and, and drink water. Just take a drink of water and watch how they do it. 9,700 of them got down on their knees to drink water. 300 of them took their hand, lapped the water, and probably their hand on their sword. They're watching for the enemy. And God says, all right, send 9,700 of them home, and I'm going to win the battle with 300. But I'm not going to use those 300 men to just wield the sword and just whip all these people. I'm going to do it a different way. So God said to those 300 men, and Joshua told them to do this because God told him, and he said, I want you to take a trumpet in your hand, a ram's horn, and a pitcher in your hand, a clay pitcher, and inside that pitcher is a light. And so at the given time, I want you to do what I tell you to do. And so they had 300 men surrounding the camp, of the enemy, and 300 men at the given signal blew the trumpet, broke the pitcher, the light was shining, and they stood there. They didn't run in and attack them. They stood there. What happened? Here's what it says. The Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. What happened? They killed each other. (laughs) The enemy killed each other. They probably bumped against it and thought, oh, that's the enemy. So they stuck him with a sword. They, they, killed, they turned on each other, and God brought the victory as the 300 men were standing around holding the light. Wow, only God could do that. Impossible with men, but possible with God. Then you think of David and his defeat of, of Goliath. You remember what happened? David came to the camp, found out that there's this Philistine uh, bragging about how he could whip anybody, and if anybody just come and fight him and win, that they would surrender, and uh, nobody would do it. And David says, is there not a cause? And David said, I'll do it. Well, we have to describe something about Goliath. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. That's big dude. He had a coat of mail that he wore that weighed 125 pounds. He had brass shin guards. He had a javelin of brass between his shoulders back there that he could use if he needed it. He had a spear that was so big, the head of the spear weighed 15 pounds. Take quite a man to throw that spear. And then he had a shield bearer in front of him. 
he should have been brave enough to not have that shield bearer, but he had the shield bearer in front of him. Well, David, he decided to go against Goliath by trusting the Lord. He knew he couldn't do it, but he knew God could. And so David had a staff in his hand, he had a sling, and he had five smooth stones. That's all he had. And this is what he said before he ever went against Goliath that shows why he won. It says this, The Lord who delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And guess what? He did. David couldn't do it, but God could. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. Then I think of the three Hebrew men in that fiery furnace. I mean, they were told to bow down to this this, uh, golden idol. And it was 90 feet tall, standing out in the plain, and nine feet wide. Wow, that's, that was quite impressive. Bow down. And if you don't bow down, I'll throw you into the fiery furnace. And so when they didn't bow down, he heated the furnace seven times hotter than it was usually heated, and he threw them into the furnace. And he looked in, and those three men were walking around in the, fur- in the furnace unhurt. And there was a fourth one with him the Son of God. I believe Jesus was walking there with him. You know, in the midst of your trials, you can guarantee something if you know Jesus. He'll be with you all the time. He'll not leave you. He'll not forsake you. And he was there. And old Nebuchadnezzar got it right when he said this, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. Who did it? God did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego couldn't do it, but God did. Nothing impossible with God. And then we think of Daniel delivered from the hungry den of lions, a den of hungry lions. And uh, he was thrown into that den. And do you remember what he said when the king asked him, Daniel, are you okay? And he says, the Lord has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. Who did it? God did. Impossible situation but God can handle the impossible. Then we have that Old Testament prophet, Jonah. You remember, he wouldn't do what God told him to do. And God said, I'm going to get the word to Nineveh, and I'm going to use Jonah. And so Jonah fled from the Lord, and Jonah and God sent a great storm up, and then he prepared a fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah lived in that belly of that fish for three days and three nights, and God took care of Jonah in the belly of the fish and then took him eventually to Nineveh, where he's supposed to preach anyway, Who could do that? Only God could do that. God does the impossible. And then we go to the New Testament. Let me tell you another impossibility. The birth of Jesus. Man couldn't do it. In fact, God didn't even let man have a part in it. The Bible says she was the virgin Mary, never knew a man, and God caused her conceive and bear a son, and he was the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Only God could do such a thing, and he did. And then Jesus, when he walked on this earth, he did things that no normal man could do. Because he was God, he could do it because God can do anything. And so Jesus changed water into wine. Jesus healed the blind. He healed the deaf. He healed the dumb. He made the lame man to walk. He healed the lepers. He healed the man with a withered hand. He healed the woman with the issue of blood. He raised the dead. He walked on water. He he cast out demons. He fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five little biscuits and two fish. 
He multiplied, and they gathered up 12 baskets afterwards. Wow, the power of God. And then he fed 4,000 with seven biscuits and a few little fish, and they gathered up seven baskets at that time left over. And then he transformed a rich tax collector named Zacchaeus. He transformed him into a believer who was willing to pay back, pay back fourfold of all that he'd taken wrongfully from other people. He changed that man completely. And then there's the maniac of Gadara. Terrible case. What did God do? God changed him completely. Jesus had took this man demon-possessed and so wicked a man and so mean a man, and God changed him so he was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And then he took a man who was a persecutor of Christians, and that was Saul. And the Bible says he went out persecuting Christians and throwing them in jail. He was the one that held the coats while the first Christian martyr was stoned to death, Stephen. That was Saul. And God met him on the road to Damascus and changed that man completely. He became the greatest missionary that probably ever lived. And he wrote a good portion of the, of the New Testament. He was a great man, the Apostle Paul. Who did that? Paul couldn't have changed himself that way, but God did. God can do anything. And then we go to the cross of Calvary. And what happened there? An impossible situation. How could man be saved? How can man be rescued from his sin and be able to go to heaven even though he deserves to go to hell? Jesus, the Son of God, took that task upon himself. And on the cross of Calvary, he paid for our sins. He died and paid for our sins. And when, he, when, he, when it was all over after those three hours on the cross, he said, it's finished. And from other places in ancient ancient. Uh, Writings, we find that that word, it is finished, was sometimes put on the top of a ledger where people owed something, and it said this, paid in full. All of your sin, all of my sin, all the world's sin was laid on Jesus, and he paid for it completely. We couldn't do that. I mean, it would take us eternity to pay for our sin. We'd be separated from God forever and ever and ever. But Jesus took all of our sin on the cross of Calvary, and he paid for it. Paid in full, it's finished. And then three days later, he rose from the grave as proof that it was all done. It was all paid for. Death could not hold him. Salvation was available. And so Jesus did that. Impossible task for man, but possible with God. And then he's able to save all who believe. Today, he's able to save anybody that will come to him. The Bible says he came in his own, his own received him not. But to as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Jesus can save anybody. And there's nobody too hard for the Lord to save. The Bible says in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You don't have to go to hell. You can go to heaven. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You can't do that. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough to save yourself. But Jesus did the work for you, and he has not only paid for it, but he will save you today. He'll do something that nobody else can do. He will transform and save your life. And Jesus can do that. 
Now, we've just reviewed 20 illustrations of God doing what was impossible for man, proving the declaration that Jesus made is in our text. And he said this, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Now, let's think of the opportunities we will have in 2024 to see God do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. What are the impossibilities that we will face where God can show us that they, that they are not impossible for him? What are some of those impossibilities that you might face? Well, first of all, if you come into our congregation today and you're not saved, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible would say you're on your road to hell. If you were to die today without Jesus, you would go to hell. The Bible says most people are that way because the broad way leads to destruction and the narrow way leads to life and few there be that find it. So most people are going to hell and you might be one of those people. Well, you cannot save yourself because the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't turn over a new leaf and decide you're going to do better and better and better and better, and hopefully at the end you'll earn your way to heaven. No, it can't be earned. You deserve to go to hell. And so it's impossible for you to save yourself. But thank the Lord, it's not impossible for God to save you. He can save anybody. There's nobody too hard to save. So you might face that impossibility. Now, I can't save myself, but I'll guarantee you God can and God can. What a good way to start the new year by trusting Jesus as your personal Savior. Also, you might face this impossibility, and that is you cannot defeat the devil. He's no, you're no match for him. I don't care how long you've been saved. You're no match for the devil. He's going about seeking whom he may devour, and the Bible says he would devour you if he could. But the Bible says this, whom resists steadfast in the faith? And James says it like this, Resist the devil and he, he'll flee from you. How do you do that? The next verse says, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. You cannot defeat the devil, but Jesus can. And so you might face an attack by the devil this year and you say, it's impossible for me to win over him. That's true, it is for you, but it's not for God. You draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you and the devil just flee. He'll get out of there because... God can handle the devil. Another impossibility, you cannot work all the circumstances in your life for good. You might have come today and there's all kinds of bad things happening in your life and you don't know how you're going to figure it out, you don't know how you're going to straighten it up, and the fact is you can't. And you can't work everything that's happening out for good, but I'll tell you somebody who can, God can he says in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Jesus can work everything together for good in your life. There might be bad things happening in your life right now, but if you surrender to Jesus and walk with him, he will work things together for your good. He'll teach you lessons from that bad experience. He'll do whatever needs to be done, but in some way he'll work it out together for good. You can also, another impossibility, you cannot be an obedient servant of Christ in your own strength. You can't do it. You might have tried before and failed, and you think, this year I'm really going to do it. I'm going to just determine I'm going to do it. Well, let me tell you, you can't. In your own strength, you can't do it. But God can do it through you. God can help you live for him. 
The Bible says in Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, lean on thy own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. God can give you direction so that you can follow him. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but to such as is common to man, but God will with the temptation also provide a way of escape. When you face with those temptations, it seems impossible for you to win. God can give you the strength so that you can win. You can do it. John 15, verse 4, 5, and 7. The Lord said to his disciples, he said, uh, let, me, let me turn there. John 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch beareth fruit, cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. For I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. You can bring forth much fruit. You can live a, a victorious life, but not without Jesus. Without Jesus, you can do nothing. So impossibility to be that obedient Christian that you want to be, you can in your own strength, but you could do it in the Lord's strength. He says he will help you. Without him, you can do nothing. He wants you to bear much fruit, and you can with him. That's why Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and all those things. You say, I can't be that kind of person. I've tried to be that kind of person. I can't. No, you can't, but God can. God can produce the fruit of the Spirit in you. He says it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of endurance, not the fruit of determination, not the fruit of good intentions, the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of God living in us produces that fruit. We can't be that joyful Christian we should be unless we let God do the work. We yield to the Spirit, and the Spirit of God makes us that kind of person. You, can also, you also cannot be a bold witness for Jesus on your own, but God can make you a bold witness the Bible says in Acts 1, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. How can we be witnesses for the Lord? How can we be a bold witness? How can we have the, the, the courage to stand up and say, sir, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. How can you do that? It seems so hard sometimes. Well, the Lord can give you the power to do it. The Holy Spirit who lives inside of you empowers you to do it. You can with the Lord's help. Jesus said this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You follow Jesus and he will make you fishers of men. Impossible for you, possible with God because he'll do the work. He'll make you a fisher of men. Another thing that might be impossible, you might say, I cannot afford to tithe and give to missions. I can't do it. I have too many bills. I just can't do it. But God can and will bless you and meet your needs if you do it. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. How God can take, when you honor him, how he can take and actually multiply things. And you just don't understand. You can't figure it out on paper, but it works. Well, the Bible said that. Let me share some scripture to you with you. Haggai chapter 1, verse 6. He said to them, he said, ye have so much and bring in little. 
You eat and you have not enough. You drink and you're not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but you're not warm. And ye, he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it in a bag with holes. In other words, I just can't get even. I can't get ahead. And the more I try, the more bills come in. I just can't seem to do it. Well, the Lord said also in the, in the book of Malachi, he says this in verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed him? In tithes and offerings, he says. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. And then he tells them this, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord. Prove God. Try it. <laughs> prove God. And he says, and saith the Lord, I, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You know, we often quote Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We treat it as if it's a blank check. You know, any Christian can claim it, God can supply all your needs. But that's not what it says. You need to take the context. The context says this. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Paul's writing to the Philippians. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning from the gospel, when I departed in Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning the giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again to my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which are sent from you, an odor, a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And the next verse is the verse we like. But the verses before say, this is true because of what you did. And that is, you gave, you shared, you helped. And then God says this, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I believe if we'll do what God wants us to do, he will supply the need. You almost might say there's another impossibility. You cannot change the person you love. You've tried. You know that husband who won't go to church, who won't live for Jesus, who doesn't want anything to do with Jesus, he won't be saved. Or that wife, the husband loves the Lord, but the wife doesn't. You cannot change that person. Maybe it's a daughter. Maybe it's a son. Maybe it's a grandchild. Maybe it's a friend of yours. And you cannot change that person. I want to remind you of the context of the verse that we read to begin with. You know, with men, there are certain things that, that are impossible. With God, all things are possible. What was the context? The context was the Lord said, there was, it's, he said, made this statement, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. Wow. And I'm not, I don't think he's being figurative. I don't think he's talking about a, a place called the needle's eye, uh, the eye of a needle or anything, or what, or cam, that they said a camel couldn't go through. I believe he was talking about a sewing needle. And he said it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle, that's impossible <laughs> than for a rich man to get to heaven. Why? Because a rich man's always trusting his riches, not the Lord. But then he added this, 
With men, these things are impossible. But with God, there's nothing impossible. So what's that say? Rich men can get saved. God can do the impossible. You might have come in here today and I, you say, I have this friend or I have this relative, I have this loved one that I so much want for them to be saved and I pray for them to be saved and I just can't even imagine how it would be if they'd ever really change. Well, you can't do it, but God can. There is no person too hard for God to save. And then I want to close with this. We might say in this year, we cannot build our new church building this year. Because we look at our finances, we look at the people who are going here, and I don't think anybody is really rich enough to do that. Maybe so, but I don't see it. And we say we can't do it. But let me tell you something. I've just showed you time after time in the Bible when God says, I'll take the impossible and I can do it. And I guarantee you, 2024 can be the year that we build that new building up on the property. Now, personally, I'd really like it to happen because I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm getting older. (laughs) And I don't know how much more years I have, but I know this. I would love to see that building built. And I'd love to see this church go on to great things. (laughs) But I I know this. God can do it. He can. God can enable us to give while we thought we couldn't give. God can bring funds from other people that we don't even know about. I'm reminded the scripture says in Psalm 50 verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills is mine. And then a side note, and all the things that lay underneath those hills, (laughs) all the gold, all the silver, all of that, guess who put it there? God did. And it wasn't after the flood. It was there before the flood. You look at the book of Genesis, you can find that out. And then the Lord says this in Exodus chapter 19, verse verse 5. He says, all the earth is mine. So God owns all the riches. And all God has to do is decide he's going to give some of it to us. And he can do it. It's not too hard for the Lord. In fact, it's very easy for the Lord. It can happen. Don't you displease God by saying saying in your mind, we can't do it. Don't displease God by saying, oh, it surely can't be done in this year. I believe it can be, and I believe God wants it to be, and I believe we should trust him to to do just that. Move forward with the expectation of what God can do. Not what we can do, but what God can do. I put it in your bulletin this morning. You can look at it later. It's at the top. It says this, Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And then that question was answered in Jeremiah 32, verse 17. It says this, there is nothing too hard for God. With that in mind, I've set the theme for 2024. It's in your bulletin. It says this, reaching new heights for Jesus. May God help us to see that happen because with him, nothing is impossible. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for reminding us that you're such a great God. 
You can do anything, Lord. There's nothing too hard for you. And I pray that we would believe that. I pray that we would be servants in your hand doing exactly what you want us to do, whether it be living for Jesus, witnessing for Jesus, or giving to Jesus. Help us to do what you want us to do. And Lord, I pray that we'll trust you to bring in the money so that we can build this year. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you, to be used of you, to be a witness, to be a soul winner, to be people who represent Jesus in the right way. May this be a year of victory in so many ways because you can do it. We confess we can't, but Lord, you can. And we, we recognize without you, we can do nothing. So we wait for you to bless and we ask for you to use us in the meantime to do all we can for Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name.